0: Colossians chapter 2, I'll read verses 6 through 15, and then we'll begin to uh, work our way through each verse. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So my notes tonight, I've tried to do a little differently, and I don't, hopefully you'll be able to follow what I've done, is when you look at the top of, of the notes, it says verse 6, and then most of the time, <laughs> the, the, the words of the verse that I'm going to cover are bold, italicized, and then underlined. And then there'll be my notes under it. So the first one is verse six. It says, Therefore, as you have, therefore, as you received. So the word that I'm going to be emphasizing as we kind of work our way through the words and phrases of the verses is the word received. So the word received means to receive uh, to oneself what is imparted or delivered over. So the idea behind dissecting these words and, and double checking what is intended by the author is to help us to understand. I guess maybe the nuances of what the author is indicating so there's no misunderstanding um, of what is being said. Not that we are going to misunderstand it, but as we develop a good habit of how we read the Bible and study the Bible, then that puts us in a better position maybe to recognize if someone else is not doing it the right way. Not that we all are going to teach the exact same way, but the idea is this. Some individuals will assume, let's say, you know, there's a lot of individuals that teach the Bible. And there are many, many people who teach the Bible well. But we also got to remember that there are literally thousands of people who misuse the Bible in a lot of different ways. And often, false teaching can be identified when the individual is teaching. Not always, but, and sometimes you may not pick up, pick up on something until maybe a couple of lessons in. But if you're paying attention to the phrasing, the words, etc., uh, you can begin to pick up on some things that you will recognize as it seems to be off, even though you may not be able to pinpoint what it is. Then what can add to the deception is because we understand that the Bible, for example, the New Testament is written in Greek, because uh, sometimes I'll do this. I will mention what the word is in Greek. I might even try to pronounce the word in the Greek language. I might talk a little bit about either the tense or the verb or what have you, uh, again, to give us a better understanding of what is there. But false teachers can do the same thing. But they, may not, but they might be emphasizing or giving you a poor definition of a word. Or they may be under-emphasizing certain things because of what they want to emphasize. Uh, sometimes what happens, not everyone who does this is trying to deceive you, but this is what can happen. So, for example, you may be reading a book, let's say it's a... a, a a Christian book and let's say it's even written by a pastor and so as, as you read through the book you may pick up on that as he quotes the Bible it it used to be that when an individual would quote the Bible they will quote primarily one translation throughout the entire book there'll be a note probably in the beginning all the quotes come from the New American Stein, Standard or all quotes come from the King James or what have you every now and then they may quote A a verse from a different translation because maybe that translation was more clear and there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes what happens is uh, in a book the author may quote Bible verses from seven or eight different translations and sometimes those translations are not really translations they're paraphrases but they don't always indicate that and the reason why they do that is because they personally like how a certain translation or paraphrase puts something because it's more in tune with what they want to say, not necessarily more in tune with what the text says. And you, and you can't always pick up on it because as you read it, everything looks like it makes sense and you just kind of flow with the book and what have you. So there's, there's with some false teachers, maybe with many, uh, there is really an art to deception. Um, and some individuals can be deceiving you and they really mean well They've been taught wrong, and then there are those who are just simply trying to either get a following for themselves, normally, because what they want is they want something from you. Whether it's your adulation, maybe they want your money, maybe they just want to have authority over you, or all the above. Um, So I I try to limit uh, the um, translations that I use, or what I would do is sometimes I'll give a comparison, and I may use four or five translations, but it's all with the same verse. I'm going, to, I'm, show you, I'm going to show you all five translations of a certain verse as we try to bring out maybe a fuller understanding of what's being said. But I don't quote a paraphrase in the first chapter and then the Living Bible over here and in another chapter and then the New King James and that way. And again, not everybody who does that is trying to deceive, but that, that is a tool that some have used. And so we just kind of have to be on top of that Uh, when it comes to uh, these types of things. So again, when it comes back now to the verse we're looking at, which is, therefore, as you received, the word received means to receive to oneself what is imparted. So this is not something that this individual obviously figured out on their own. It was given to them. It was taught to them. So Paul is saying that at some point, the Colossians, because that's who he's writing to, by faith laid hold and took possession of the truth that was presented. That's really all that means. All right, but there's, it's not more than that, but that's what that means. That's what he's getting at. Uh, that, that they receive what he was giving them, which was the truth. Then he says, uh, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So you may not notice this, but sometimes you look at commentaries. Uh, some of these guys were academics because they can spend <coughs> many more hours studying the Bible. Uh, they can really help us uh, with the observations that they are making. And what you'll see is that many of them will tell you that this phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord, that word order, is the only place in the Bible where this appears. Right? You know, there's a lot of ways. Like, like if you read through the New Testament, you'll notice that in some places they'll say Christ Jesus, and sometimes they'll say Jesus Christ. It's actually a reason why they do that. Uh, normally, the, whatever is used first is where the emphasis is, and you can see that sometimes along the way. Well, in this instance, because he says Christ Jesus the Lord, uh, it's done on purpose, and part of that goes back to what we've talked about before about some of the false teaching that they're being exposed to. And there seems to be various fingers of Gnosticism. Gnosticism as a whole really didn't exist then, but it was forming and not everything in Gnosticism is brand new. Uh, but there was also another heresy called Docetism. Do- I'm going to get it right. Docetism. And I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, where basically there was this idea that um, Jesus was imaginary or that, that Jesus' divinity was imaginary and that his body wasn't real. They're, they're trying to emphasize in some way that if Jesus is the Son of God, he's, he didn't have a real body. All right? And so there's all these different nuances where people are trying to bring in false teaching, which is going to lead people astray. So when he says Christ Jesus the Lord, He is doing it on purpose. Number one, Christ is the word which means anointed one. Okay, so in the Hebrew language, that's the word Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. In the Greek language, it's the word Christ, means the anointed one. So it's the anointed one, Jesus. When Jesus appears first, normally then, the individual is emphasizing his humanity, that that he is a real human being with a real body. It doesn't mean that they're diminishing anything else, but they want to make sure you are aware of that. Because that, and that, that, the idea that, that Jesus either didn't have a real body or that there was something different about him, that still even exists today in some places, where individuals will kind of de-emphasize his humanity. Um, then in some other places, they will overemphasize his humanity. That's why whenever we talk about Jesus being the perfect God-man, uh, we will sometimes add to that. What we mean is Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And sometimes we'll say that all the time. And the reason why we do is because there's still individuals who either assume or they've heard others say he was 50% God and 50% man, which presents a lot of problems as to who he is when you read through the scripture. So there's obviously a uniqueness about who Jesus is because he is the son of God. But we want to make sure that we don't misrepresent who he is because it's hard to grasp. So here, Paul Is calls him Christ Jesus the Lord because he wants to make sure that Jesus, this historic individual, is Jehovah the Savior and he accomplished our salvation by his death, which is a very real death. There's this, there's an emphasis by Paul that there's a real human being that existed whose name was Jesus, who was perfect, who was the, who was the son of God, and that he really did die for our sin. He really, did, he really was punished for our sins. God laid on him our sins and punished him accordingly. And that's an act of history. Um, so it wasn't a dream, it wasn't an illusion, it wasn't an allegory. It was none of those things. What we believe in is historical fact. If you've ever read any book dealing with, with uh, trying to prove the resurrection of Jesus, they're always getting into the evidence right he was all these individuals who saw him and then what did they see him do you know how he appeared that he ate food uh, all these different things that that uh, Jesus has done so there's always that evidence so, so that we have this understanding then uh, there's substance to our faith uh, there are many religions where people are putting their faith in someone's dream or someone's vision or someone's experience. That's not a whole lot to to hold on to, especially when it comes to the most important questions of life. But what we have is historical fact that is verified and credible that we can point to so that's why we can say we know this is true. Uh, And you'll still see evidence of this. When I say the internet, you know, you can find some good things on the internet and you can also find a lot of garbage. And so, some of the things that have been going around for decades, or maybe even centuries about Jesus, that Jesus didn't really exist. You can go right now, and you can just type in on Google, did Jesus exist? And you will find websites that will say no. Uh, Even though it's been proven historically by secular sources, meaning non-Christian sources, that yeah, the guy existed. Uh, We have evidence that this guy existed. We have evidence of history and archaeology and all the rest. Um, But you still have individuals because they're trying to find ways, either because they just want to be a punk, or they're just trying to uh, destroy or diminish Christianity. I mean, that does happen, for whatever their reasons are. Uh, And part of that would be, obviously, Satan's pretty much cheering that kind of stuff on. So that's why, then, Paul, when he writes this, this is not an accident that he does this. So another uh, thing we need to remember when we read the Scripture uh, is keep in mind that as we're reading God's Word, It's not only that we ought to have great respect for the Bible, which we should, and great reverence for the Bible, but because we believe that God, uh, that this comes from God and has been protected by God and preserved by God for us, then when we read it, we believe that every word is inspired. So then when Paul decided to write in a particular way, we don't think that was just a coincidence or that Paul was just trying to be flashy. Right, that there was reasons for that. And so we want to make sure that we pick up on those things. Uh, and who knows how that may help us. Because not everything that we learn is always earth-shattering. You know, sometimes certain points are emphasized and we go, oh, okay, that's really good, I like that. Or sometimes there's things, well, I haven't thought of it that way, that's important. There may be other things that you've never doubted. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, well, I've never doubted that Jesus really existed. I mean, who, who would do that? And that's okay. But it's still being emphasized, and it's something that that needs that we need to be reminded of, even though that's not an issue that we're facing. Who knows? There may be a day coming when you are in a very dark place. You know, when we are, uh, when we're overco- when we are overwhelmed with emotions, sometimes we can begin to think poorly. We can think illogically. And so uh, you may be going through a, a dark time for whatever the reason, and all of a sudden, you're kind of wondering... Does Jesus even really exist? Maybe you're mad. Maybe you're cynical. It could be a lot of things. And so you say that to yourself. You, and when you're thinking, well, you think, I would never say that. That would just be dumb. Well, then when you're in a dark place, that thought occurs to you. And for some individuals, if they're not really well-grounded or don't have the discipline to go back to the Bible, we'll go with that. And there have been individuals, many individuals throughout time where they go through a dark time, they have those questions, they don't think through things that they have read or been taught, maybe because they haven't, and when they come out on the other side, they're not walking with the Lord, or they walk away from the Lord, or they walk away from the church. My dad told me once, my dad was, he's, well he still is, my dad's been in ministry for a long time, and he told me this, he says that when, when people, whenever we go through any kind of trauma or catastrophe, as Christians, or at least maybe at least as church people, we never remain the same. And he says we will always grow closer to the Lord or move farther away. But you'll never be the same. And it doesn't always mean that you walk completely away because there are times when an individual may have been an individual who's gone to church for decades and then one day they walk away from the church and we're wondering, what happened? Often, it's never one event that took place last Monday. It's small things, or or when I say small, it doesn't mean it was minor, but something happened maybe years over here where a little bit of doubt crept in, and they never dealt with it. And so it sits there in the back of your mind. And then a few years later, things happen to be to other people. Maybe they, they begin to have a little less discipline in reading the Word. They they have less discipline in listening to solid preaching and good Bible studies. And so what that does, that feeds that little doubt. And that little doubt can begin to grow, though that they don't sense it, they don't feel it. Alright, and then pretty soon it begins to affect the way that you feel. You no longer you're no longer really in tune with the Lord. You're no longer in tune with worship. You you just kind of it's like you're slowly taking a step back. And then finally what happens, the time comes when you realize you're playing a game or if this isn't worth it or I've been coming to church for five years and I get nothing out of it. Well, often, not always, but often, that's not because the preacher suddenly became an idiot and he no longer is teaching the word well. You're not listening like you did before. But again, it's, it's this, that small progression. So that's why as we study the word of God and read these things, it's so important for us to, to be in tune with that because these things feed us along the way. Uh, And the thing to remember is this, is that it it is not important. Let's say that that one day you're talking to somebody, three years from now, and you're, you're rereading Colossians, and you're talking to this individual, and you're going through some verses, and you tell them something about those verses, and they're like, wow, how do you know that? You may think, I don't remember, but I know it. It doesn't rem- you don't, it's not important to me or anyone else who teaches the Word of God that you remember that it was us that taught you that. What's important is that you know it. We want the knowledge to become your knowledge. That's what's important. Uh, and so it's kind of like, uh, you know, I know that my mom cooked for me hundreds of meals. I remember a few of them. But I received the benefits of that. I'm the biggest person in my family. Uh, All right, and it's because I ate well. Of course, now my we have another member of the family that's bigger than I am, but he married in the family. He's six ten, so (laughs) he wins. But the thing is, is that my body was nourished along the way by what she did, though I can't recall every meal that she made. And so, when it comes to Bible study, and you know, because we all, if if you are kind of the average believer, through the course of years, you've gone to hundreds of Bible studies, you've heard hundreds of sermons. You've heard hundreds of comments about the Bible. You may have watched hundreds of little YouTube blurbs. Let's say they were decent. Uh, you've read maybe hundreds of books or hundreds of portions of books, all right. And then, as well as your own Bible reading. So there's a bunch. You, there's a bunch of stuff you know, and you don't. You can't remember where you got it from, but you know you're right. You know you're accurate as you read the Word of God, and so that's what's important uh, when we go through these things. So again, Christ Jesus the Lord, uh, Jesus the historic person. Um, that's what the name Jesus signifies. He, again, as it says here, is Lord. He is Jehovah the Savior. Uh, and He is the Savior and proves He's the Savior by what He accomplishes in His death. Uh, he is the one who, who has authority and control of our life. And this is recognized. That's why it is, it is um, said that way. Christ Jesus the Lord, the anointed one, the man Jesus is Lord. He is the authority uh, in my life. I recognize His authority. He's in control, and that's what Paul wants them to, to see. So Paul, uh, again, then appears to address this heresy about the person of Christ that somehow his humanity uh, was an illusion, and his death was like a dramatic appearance. That's his out the window. Um, and so that's what he reminds them of. Paul's point, again, is that the Colossians, then, when he says, Therefore, as you, ha- as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... His point is that these believers had received Christ Jesus as Lord, that they would remain safe from spiritual seduction, because he's writing about this apostasy and wants them to uh, remain safe from it. And if they continue to walk in submission to Christ, um, and the idea is, is that you and I also will be resistant to the Gnosticizing influences that are in the world if we walk in the reality of Christ Jesus as Lord. That's, 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 all that is being communicated in that phrase uh, to us. And that's why every time we read the Bible, those things are being reemphasized to us. Um, I don't, don't ever think that it's a, uh, what's the word? It's, it's not a subconscious thing. It's a conscious thing. You're not always aware of it, but it's not subconscious. It's conscious. Uh, that's why if, uh, when it comes to your Bible reading, sometimes we can get in a hurry, uh, especially if we read silently. And we can sometimes tend to skip so I do think there's a very simple way to correct that that's very helpful and that's to, when you read your Bible read to yourself out loud which means you can't always do that in Starbucks well I guess you could uh, people may not appreciate it um, but the point is is you're you're reading it you have to pay more attention because you're saying it out loud and you're also hearing it at the same time uh, and it's it's a good practice and I do that sometimes you know there's times you can just you, know, you come across stuff you've read a hundred times and we, we, we can just tend to start going a little bit too quick. And I'll catch myself. I, I mean, I, even, I talk to myself, just so you know. I think it's healthy. Um, talking to yourself is healthy. Arguing with yourself is not so good. If you argue with yourself and you lose the argument, you're in trouble, all right? <laughs> so I talk to myself and I'll just say, what are you doing? And I'll stop and I'll go back and start reading out loud. And there are times if I feel a little drowsy, I will stand up in my house and I will read, I'm not, reading. I'm not pretending there's an audience, I don't do that. I'm reading to myself out loud. I want to hear what the scripture says. And I know the weakness of the flesh, and I don't want that to be an excuse. And so I do that. And if that's not good enough, I will walk around. Uh, just make sure there's no furniture. But I'll walk around, and I will read, so I'm doing it slow. But I'll read it again out loud to myself. And then there are times, when even that's not enough, that I will read it out loud even slower And a little more dramatic in other words i'm not playing a part but i am trying to emphasize what what you're reading um and that's it's good to hear that so um try those things i just think it's beneficial to us uh, spiritually yep Well, they don't even talk about the gospel. The main thing is that, they, that the main part of it is they receive secret revelation from God. They are in an, 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 an anointed position so only a few people can get it. Now, remember, it wasn't fully developed by this time, but that's Gnostic types of things is, the, uh, is mystery, special revelation, a hierarchy of people, those types of things. And, it, and then later on, it develops into where the physical... Um, is evil. Uh, and then with that, you have two responses. Some say because the physical is evil, then you, uh, you live a very disciplined life. The other side of that is, well, because the physical is evil and it doesn't affect the spiritual, do whatever you want. And so there's a separation of the spiritual and the physical, that kind of stuff. So all those things are kind of wrapped into that. And that's what it leads to. All right, so again, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, then so walk in Him. So the word walk literally means to walk around. Uh, figuratively, it's used to live or pass through life. Uh, the idea is that you're walking in the sphere of truth or you're walking in the sphere of darkness. Uh, this this uh, term, so walk in him, is present tense. So what's being emphasized then is that th- that is to be a habitual way of life. Now, so that's important because we've mentioned before that in a lot of the pagan religions back then, the emphasis was always in just performing certain rituals. Whether the ritual was once a year, or twice a year, or whenever. It was, it was not a, a lifestyle. It was you performed certain rituals, uh, or you participated in certain rituals, and you've kind of done your duty. So when it comes to the life, uh, true religion, or the life as a Christian, because I have believed in Christ, and I know who He is, and He is the Lord of my life. He is in control. I now need to walk or live this way. I need to live in uh, in the light, I don't live in the darkness. And this is, as I said, present tense, which means this is to be my, my habit, my daily life. I, I, every aspect of my life is, is, uh, is affected by this. So that's what's meant by that. Um, this is also, um, besides being present tense, it's called uh, a present imperative. And most of us know what an imperative is. It's a command. So this isn't a suggestion. This isn't just Paul saying, hey, I got a good idea. If you live this way, it goes, no, this is a command of God. He, He demands obedience. The struggle that we can have sometimes in our culture today is the idea of imperatives being given is viewed negatively in our society. The idea that we are to be in obedience is viewed negatively in our society. Not in everything, but if you ever listen to the conflicts that people have, uh, whether it's in person or the conflicts we see on the news, it's usually there's usually pride involved. And so a mother and daughter are having an argument, and the daughter says, you're not the boss of me. Okay? Right, that's what's going on there with that is that, they, because they view that if mom is the boss, I'm diminished as a person. I'm my own boss. Um, that's why then, even if we have a boss at work, we, may, you know, we know we don't have a right maybe to get angry when he gives us a command. We don't really call it a command because we don't even like how that sounds. But he tells us what we need to do. Then we get upset because we don't like the way he said it. Because if he said it in a certain way or she said it in a certain way, well, that's demeaning. And because, it's again, it's about our pride. I'm my own person. It's almost like, yeah, you can make suggestions. I'll decide if I do that. But it seems Oh, that's exactly what that is. That's because of our pride. And so that's why then we need to make sure that we recognize that imperatives, that God isn't diminishing who we are. We are created beings. So we need to accept that and welcome that and realize that that's not a problem. And uh, most people and animals, all right, do better when they are in submission to where they're supposed to be, right? So in a uh, marriage relationship, Husbands and wives are to be committed to each other. There's, there is an aspect of mutual submission as well as the submission of the wife. But when all that's going the way that it's supposed to, they're both a whole lot happier. Life goes really well. Okay? Um, in the army, if you want to win against the enemy, uh, submission and doing orders is really important. So when the, when the colonel says, you're going to go straight up the middle of attack this hill, and so and is gonna take his group and go around the right flank, that's really important. Because if they don't do that, and you go up the middle, and there's no one coming at the enemy from the other sides, you're a sitting duck, and you're all gonna die. So everyone being on the same page, which means everyone is submitting and following the orders, is a good thing. All the sports teams that win, especially football, because it's the greatest sport on the planet. The football teams that do well, everyone understands their role, and they what? They are in submission. Even with the, if they call a play, the, the left tackle doesn't say, I, I, mean, I, I really don't like this play. I'm going to run this play. All right? Well, if that happens, the quarterback might be cut in half by the defensive end because he's not going to block them. Right? So everybody has to be on the same page. So this idea of submission is all around us. So, But in our society, we've just got this thing um, that when we speak of imperatives or speak of commands, or speak of obeying, some people, it, they won't say anything, but they, they don't, we just, mm, You know, we, we kind of bow our back a little bit. So as believers, we need to ask the Lord to help us with that, because these commands, the command isn't coming from Paul. This is from the Lord. When I repeat these things, I'm not commanding you to do these things. I, I am, but not on my own authority. I'm just telling you this is what God commands all of us to do. Because I'm, I'm definitely not saying you need to do this, I'm, I'm going to do something different, but you need to do this, I'm not doing that either. All right, so we need to make sure we don't allow that mindset, it can very easily creep in. Um, and it's, it tends to be more of a problem for, for the younger you are, as we get older, we kind of have life experience, we already understand that. Uh, but because our culture's changing so much, there's even people now, as they get older, still have a problem with that, they don't like it. And so they're just not going to do it. They, you know, they would decide um, what's going to happen. So I just want to make sure that we remind ourselves that when we see these imperatives, that, we do need, that if, it's, if it is an imperative, which it is, we need to embrace that as believers and not allow that um, to uh, cause us to begin to feel um, somehow that it's diminishing who we are. So the metaphor of walking again is simply this. It's just you take two simple steps and you repeat them over and over again. So what Paul is commanding us to do is not a complicated thing but it is a necessary thing in order to be able to resist the delusion, again, that he's concerned that they might fall into, which is this Gnostic um, type of influence that's coming their way. So again, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So even that phrase, in him, there there's actually some books that are written that all it's about is the two words together, in him or in Christ. That has a particular meaning in Christianity. The idea is that we are living life in complete dependence upon the Lord, in total dependence. So the way we live our life in dependence goes back to that bad word that some people don't like, is the word "obey." We obey His commands. I talk to Him in prayer. I listen to what His Word says. Uh, and if I do that, I'm living in dependence upon Him. That's what that means. It's, it's not a. It's not some mystical thing like where I'm waiting to be moved or have a certain feeling. Um, I'm just following, in a sense, orders. I'm following what he says. Uh, I'm, I'm submitting my, my mind, my will, my emotions, which would include then my attitudes, to what the Word of God says. I'm allowing the character of Christ to be developed in me uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit as I ingest the Word of God. So then what he's speaking of here is a supernatural walk. So first thing is, is we are unable to do this just in the flesh or just like... I've decided today, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this every day. And I'm going to do it on my own. Well, you may be successful for a couple of days, but you're going to fail. Uh, The only way we can sustain this is to do this in dependence upon the Lord. And it involves all those, I call those, and I'm not the only one, we call those the disciplines of the Christian life, which is really very simple. Uh, Which again, is reading the scripture, uh, being involved in prayer, Uh, worshiping and fellowshipping with fellow believers those are the main components uh, of living life in christ Um, and that has a profound effect on us and the longer we do it the greater the effect on us as individuals we begin to change uh, much even much more deeply um, because god's bringing that about that's the means that he normally uses so this supernatural walk is only possible in christ We cannot walk as Christ walked in our own strength. We have to continually maintain an attitude of humility, uh, which again is manifested on dependence upon Christ, who alone is the one who can enable us to walk. And again, the idea is who enables me to walk or live as a Christian, or or who enables me to to live my life and think as a believer. Um, So on a real uh, simple level, um, let's let's think of it this way. So let's say that... um, you're a guy, you're sitting in some place, you're reading a book, library, whatever it happens, you're reading a book, or you're studying for an exam, whatever it happens to be, and an attractive woman comes in, you noticing that she's attractive is not sinful. But if you find yourself being distracted and you continue to stare at her, um, All right, we may say that's human, and it is, but you're not behaving and thinking as a Christian. Okay. Now, if you're going to behave and think as a Christian... You, you may notice that she's beautiful, but you're not going to be staring at her. First of all, you don't know who she is. That's not your wife, you know, if you are married. If you're not married, just check her fingers. If she's married, then just stop looking, you know. But the, thing is, but the thing is, is that you want to make sure that you're thinking as a Christian. All right, so that doesn't mean that, that we become blind, and all of a sudden you start doing this. You say, I can't look. Women are walking in here. All right? But the idea is, what's going on in your mind? What are we dwelling on? Um, and so the longer that, again, we are in the scripture. So it's not just a discipline. Okay. It is a discipline to a degree. But what happens is this, as you continue in the word and follow what the word of God says, your desires change. So because your desires change, the way you think about people and life becomes very different. That's, that's, that's the thing that's going on there. Um, is that not, you don't approach people the same way. You don't think about them the same way. It seems to be a natural thing that's happening. And it is natural, but it's a supernatural work that God is doing in your heart and life. And so it doesn't mean that you'll never struggle again. It doesn't mean you'll never be tempted again. You will be. But the way we overcome temptation, maybe even the speed of overcoming temptation, all those things will happen in a better way as we continue to follow through on these disciplines of the Christian life. That's why our time together is always so important. That's why you'll notice that most of the time when we begin to drift from the Lord, the first things we begin to do is always this way. The first things is one of the following in in no particular order and sometimes all at once. We read scripture less. We pay less attention when scripture is being read. We have less interest in worshiping with believers or fellowship with believers eventually that may reveal itself by just not being around as much we don't show up so in the beginning you can be here but not be here we all know we can do that when i was a teenager i could be in church and be thinking about a million different things i wasn't there all right so but all these things begin to happen and so you begin to pull away in all these different ways that's what happens first um and then we begin to drift and begin and then it begins to take over in the way that we behave yes yes Mm. i also noticed that Another thing that happens when we're drifting away is prayer life. Yes. You know, it diminishes. Mm -hmm. And and, and, uh, another thing when we're talking about in Him, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, another meaning for that for me is, uh, when you use that analogy about uh, uh, looking at a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in Him, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit also helps you to identify at that time that you know reminding you that you need to be in him to control Mm -hmm. those thoughts Mm -hmm. and and, and i like to think of how he magnifies himself in us at that time because Mm -hmm. of we're in him and we're reading scripture he brings scripture back to Mm -hmm. members about temptation Yeah. yeah absolutely um i remember one time i was uh we were having, my wife and I, well, our family, we were, having, we were going through, a, it was really tight financially. And so I bought a van that I shouldn't have bought. But anyway, so I worked out with this, these two Christian men who had a company. This is when I lived in Hawaii. And they had a, a private tour company in Waikiki. And so it was a good thing for them. It was a good thing for me. They were going to lease the van from me. That way I could make the payments and get out from underneath this thing. So that's what we did. First three months was great. And then, of course, this is what always happens. They didn't pay. And, of course, they didn't call. And I called them. Okay. And, uh, and it got to the point to where they weren't going to pay. And I don't know if they could or not. It didn't matter. They just weren't going to do it. So I had to go get the van. So by the time I got to the point where I was going to go get the van, um, I was really upset. I mean, I was really angry. Uh, because now I've got, I'm feeling all this pressure again, this financial pressure. It's my fault I'm in that position, but that's not what I'm thinking at that moment. What I'm thinking is, this guy did me wrong because he broke his word, which he did, but that doesn't absolve me of my responsibility, but I wasn't thinking that way. I'm mad at him. So, you know, I was young. That's not an excuse. That's a reality. So that there's a lack of maturity there. So as I'm, as I'm Getting a ride from someone to go down there. There's a lot of things going through my head, and one of the things that's going through my head is I wasn't going to hit him, but I but I wanted to. So it's almost like you're hoping, well, maybe we can get an argument and he can hit me first. You know, then I can hit him, or I can just push him or something. You're You're thinking that way. It's not right, but you're upset. And I'm not, intending to, I'm not intending to follow through on that. Don't worry, I didn't hit him. Uh, he's like, wait a minute, what's he saying? So I get there, and I had been working in the yard, so I'm sweaty, I'm in these dirty clothes, and I come walking in, and he was a little guy. Um, he was 15 years older than I was. He's not in very good shape. He was like 5'8", and he's got this attitude which makes everything worse. Because you're already in a bad mood, and now he has an attitude with me, and he's the one that broke his word. And so I'm there for the keys, and I, all of a sudden I just had this flash in my mind. It would feel so good for a moment just to pick up his desk and throw it through the window. And I'm like, now, that's a sin. And I'm enjoying it right up here. Trying to figure out, how, like, how can I get away with this? Which there's no way. But I'm just, all that's going on. Right? And so, but in the end, what happened was, you know, I got the keys. I wasn't smiling. You know, but I got the keys, got the van, and went home. All right? So that's sinful. So a few years later, there's another situation. I'm not in financial trouble, but there's an individual who's broken their word. And there's all these kinds of things. And I am very irritated, but I'm not going through all that. I'm not trying to figure out how I can intimidate them physically. I'm not daydreaming about throwing furniture through a window All right? I, there's there's a maturing taking place that's no longer going on so it's a it's a it's a progress it's going slow but it, but it is happening. Others may not always be able to see it because I wasn't saying anything. you know I wasn't really throwing furniture back then either, but I was really entertaining the idea, and now that's gone and so as we grow as Christians, those things happen. And sometimes sometimes I'm convinced the Lord will allow us to be in a position where we're wronged so we can see yes. that we've actually made progress. We've become aware of, well, I mean, not that you start bragging, you know, but we, but we, but we become, in a sense, pleased. Yeah, I've, I've really changed. Of course, just so you know, on the other end. You may think you've come along pretty long, pretty good. And the Lord allows something to happen to show you, yeah, you haven't come far at all. You know, look at look at what you've been thinking about. So the idea is, is that this daily walk with the Lord is really very important. And what we tend to do is we tend to really focus on that when things are going bad. Right. Things go bad. What we will think, I really need the Lord. OK, that's a lie. You always really need the Lord. Not just then, you just feel it more urgently at that point. But we always need the Lord. When things are going well, you need the Lord. Right? You read through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You, know, you don't want to get to the point to where you know, things are so good you forget the Lord. Or things go so bad you despise the Lord. And so we ask the Lord just to give us just enough so that we can kind of be at the happy medium. And so the idea is, is that we want to make sure that we are continuing to grow. That continues to prepare us for the future. And that future may be something happening tomorrow as well as something happening years from now. It's not always some big thing. For many believers, again, when we begin to blow it and we blow it, it's not the big, huge thing. I'm pretty sure, I mean, we might be surprised, but I'm pretty sure that this week, no one in this room is gonna go rob a bank. And I'm pretty sure that no one here is gonna go mug somebody. Now, I never said that when I was talking to a room full of inmates. Right? Cause, but but there's a pretty strong possibility that's not going to happen. But it doesn't take that to cause us to move away from the Lord and to get on the wrong path, which may lead to that. which And that has happened. It does happen. Um, and so we just want to make sure that we don't then just, yeah, I, okay, that's good that says that. And we just kind of, you and know, we go on our way. The idea is the word of God is given to us to... Affect us so that I, I desire this. And, and whether I'm hearing this for the first time or I'm being reminded, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, this is, I, I'm, I know this. I'm, I'm reminded of this, and this is good. And let me make sure that I don't stray from this because I can easily stray from this. You know, if you do a lot of teaching in the Bible, I do a lot of teaching. Sometimes after a while, you only start, you, the only things you study is to teach. You're no longer studying for yourself. I want to make sure I'm doing that. All right. Now, I can do both at the same time, but, but it's in your approach. All right. And so we want to make sure that, that, that we don't get in the wrong habit, because uh, it can happen easily uh, to any one of us. So as he tells us then to do this, to, 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 to walk in him, how do we do that? What, what is really going to be going on with that? Well, he continues that in verse 7, and so it's, we begin with the word rooted, or maybe the translation you have is firmly rooted, Which means to become stable. It means to be rooted, to be strengthened with roots. uh, Figuratively, it means to be firmly fixed, uh, thoroughly grounded. Again, this verb, rooted, is in the passive voice, and that indicates that this rooting has been done to you by God's act of sovereign grace. So he's not done yet, all right, because we want to take all these words together, but as we study this word rooted, what is emphasized is God has rooted you in Christ. Okay, so I, I, so I am rooted. All right, I need to make sure that I'm working on that, but I am rooted in Him. All right, then it's also perfect tense, which means this is something God has done for me, but it has a continuing effect on me. So I am rooted, I'm rooted in Christ. The moment I trust Christ as my Savior, and the result is that I will continue to be rooted in Christ because as the Bible says, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. So then what's being emphasized is, even though there's this command of Paul, telling me what I'm to do as a believer, I'm also seeing what God is doing in me supernaturally. Yes? Okay, speaking of all brooding and all and being in Christ, why is it that some people say that some of the most committed atheists were once Christians? Well, they weren't really Christians. They identified as Christians, but they weren't Christians. I mean, that's just simply how they stood. You know, so which means they weren't rooted. Because right, if they were, then they wouldn't be the individual denouncing the Lord. And, that's in that, and when you read this, the story or the parable of the four soils, uh-huh. it becomes pretty clear in there that that can definitely happen. Okay. All right. Okay. Then there's the word built up. Uh, the word built up... Uh, <laughs> literally means to build upon something already built. All right, that's the word that's used there. So you build on something already built. You're adding to the foundation uh, of a building, or it means to build further. It means to erect a super uh, structure. So to, when it's used figuratively here, it means obviously to build up spiritually, to edify or to promote the growth of Christian character. So building up is in the present tense, signifying continuous edification, it is in the active voice, which identifies this as a choice we must, we must make. So you move for the word rooted, to the word built up, and there's a change there. Rooted, God, I am rooted in Christ because of what God has done in me. And now I am building on this foundation. I'm making this choice to, be, to build the character of my life on the foundation of who God is, on the character of Jesus Christ. So, this is what Paul is telling these individuals to do, what they need to be aware of. So, again, it's a choice I make. Uh, the verb tense pictures a building as a process. Uh, so, obviously, we are doing this our entire life. That's why you will hear oftentimes people speak of our sanctification as progressive growth. All right? We're progressing in the Christian life. Uh, so, no matter how many years you've been a believer, you should be more mature as a believer now than you were five years ago. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't blow it. But there should be this. There should be a difference. Sometimes others may not always see major differences, but there should be. You should be aware of differences uh, in your life. Again, in the way that you respond to situations or people or circumstances or all of the above. Uh, again, that may be slight. Or in the beginning when you begin to change sometimes, uh, I think I told you before about the story of this guy that, um, that I led to the Lord who was in prison for murder and after about a couple of weeks he came to me and he was just really, really disturbed and he says, I'm just not sure that I've been forgiven that, and that God loves me that I'm saved and I go, why? He goes, well I know from reading the Bible I should really feel bad for killing that guy and I don't and I said, praise the Lord and he's like, what are you talking about? I said, you're coming to me because you're bothered that it doesn't bother you. I said, two weeks ago, did it bother you that it didn't bother you? He goes, no. Said, Whoa, change. All right? So before, he didn't even think about it. It didn't bother him. But as he read the scripture, why would, why would the fact that it didn't bother him begin to bother him? Because the Lord was changing his heart. And, and it continued to change. And pretty soon, it did bother him. And to the point to where he was actually unable to sleep. Uh, For several weeks and I was gone, but when I came back we talked and so I just had to reassure him that there really was forgiveness That God that he did not send that individual to hell that that individual according to the scripture had Opportunity and knowledge to know God and he rejected that and even though even though he was wrong for taking his life physically He didn't send him to hell The individual was already condemned by his own sin um and so as we work our way through that the truth of the word of god really instantly affected him and he was grateful and when i i didn't pray with him before i said amen he was snoring uh he was already asleep slept like a baby All right, but see so again sometimes the changes are those types of things so when i said that to him when i said praise the lord you know y- you feel bad because you don't feel bad i wasn't just making that up because i was groping for something to be positive i really i believe that's true his heart was so hardened and he was so bent on revenge on this guy that he he felt as a human being justified for what he did now i knew he wasn't but remember he was he was living on how he was feeling and he was overwhelmed with that but as the lord calmed his heart and he was as he was fed the word of god and i didn't know he was even struggling with that we just did regular bible study but he became convicted by god um and so that was a a marvelous thing so then it also says, besides uh, being built up, it says to be established. Established means to be fixed, to be standing firm. You have the uh, definition there in your papers. It's a verb, uh, again, that means to make sure or to make certain, to prove valid or to prove reliable or maybe to verify. Um, uh, it's, it's given to us, the idea is to try to inspire confidence in the individual. Again, it's in the passive voice, which indicates that the effect of establishing or confirming is produced by an outside source, which again, this would be the Holy Spirit. So this process, as you and I grow, God is involved in this process. I am obviously participating, you know, and part of my participating is choosing as a believer to do this, but I'm choosing to do this because God's changed my heart to want to do this. And so God is the one who's rooted me. I'm the one who wants to be built up and established in in the faith. And this word established here is what the Spirit of God is doing in me as he... As, as the Spirit of God interacts with the Word of God that I'm ingesting. And so that's, that's what's happening to you as a believer. When you read the Bible, the Spirit of God that is indwelling you is interacting with uh, the Word of God. It's not necessarily something that you feel. You might, and I have no idea what it even feels like. But that's not the point. We accept it by faith. We believe this is what God does. This is the process that He uses. That's why Bible study and Bible reading is so important. It's, it's God speaking to us. Uh, God is so brilliant, and because he knows all things, he, the Word of God transcends time and culture. And so that's why when we refer to the Bible, we refer to the Bible the same way the Bible refers to the Bible, which it is what? Living. It's the living Word of God. It, it's like it has breath, because it's, it's not limited to time. It's not, it's not dead words on a dead page in a dead book written thousands of years ago. It is relevant it is active it is living um, because it's inspired by God himself and then God uses that in our soul um, in our minds and our hearts as we are changed so again this is the effect of this outside source which is the which is the Holy Spirit it's not me not my brilliance not any of those kinds of things again it's present tense which indicates it's an ongoing process so all of us are involved in this ongoing process maybe at different rates, um, varying degrees, that kind of thing. Uh, But the idea, and that that also encourages us. We see each other growing. We see each other at different uh, points in time in their character with the Lord. And so we pray for each other, and we're also we rejoice as we become more aware of the changes that are taking place uh, in each other's lives. So the more we walk in Him, as we totally trust the Lord, we're nourished by His Word. Uh, his teacher, our teacher, is the Spirit of God. And then we become more established in the faith. So we'll pick this up next week because we are out of time. And we'll talk about what he means by the word faith here uh, and move forward from there. So uh, uh, so keep these notes. Just kind of fold them up stick them in your Bible. And um, one of the things that you, uh, I would say is a good thing to do is every now and then when something strikes you, when you go through these kind of details, that's when you can take a very thin pen, depending on how you write, what kind of Bible you have, whether you want to circle something, what have you, and you want, like, for example, let's say, I tell you a word is present tense, and so that, me, and you're like, you know, what I like that idea, you circle that word, you put present tense, then put that, put what it means, alright, uh, or that this is what the Holy Spirit does for me, or, or God is the one who's rooted me, or that kind of thing, and then that way, years later, or weeks later, whatever it is, you just read it through your Bible, and there it is. And you're just reminded of that. You'd be amazed how much you can remember. Then you have to worry about keeping all these different papers in your Bible. Write in your Bibles, right? That's not a sin. Um, do that. It's a good thing. Um, and I, the reason why I emphasize writing, underlining is okay, and highlighting is good. But sometimes you can highlight, and two years from now you have no idea why you highlighted it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I did that. Uh, it was meaningful then. What was meaningful? I, I don't know. So I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but I think it's more beneficial. Um, if you make some small notes, uh, the only bummer is you do that for years with your Bible and you need a new Bible. All your notes are in the old one. Oh, well, <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your kindness and love, and we ask, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your blessing. We ask, Lord, that you would keep us in your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be excited about learning and reading and understanding. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be aware of the changes in our lives that you are making, And to be encouraged by that. And then, Lord, if we become aware of those areas that we are lacking or maybe lagging behind, we pray, Lord, that we would not feel sorry for ourselves, but that we would be concerned. And we would make that a a matter of priority and prayer and, and seek to please you in those ways. And maybe live even in greater dependence upon you for the help that you give us. Keep us safe, Lord, as we go home. As always, we thank you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.